And would you pray with me? Lord, we just thank you for this time this morning that we have to spend in your word. And Lord, is it so easy uh, throughout the course of our weeks to uh, kind of walk away from your word and uh, from your voice in our lives. Lord, would you just call us back this morning uh, through this time spent in your word. Lord, would the wind of your spirit blow across our hearts and fan those embers into flame for you, Lord. Um, and would you just use this time of uh, the, this, this time that we have in, in your word this morning just to bolster us in our faith that we may go from this place and live as followers of Jesus and not just people who say we believe but who live like it too. So Lord, we just ask this all in Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Well, as uh, many of you may be aware, uh, throughout the season of Lent, which is the 40-day the period of spiritual preparation leading up to Easter, uh, we have been going through a sermon series on the Apostles' Creed, which we just recited. Uh, and of course, this is a, a statement of faith that, that has united Christians of all denominations for centuries. Um, and throughout the ages, the Apostles' Creed has, has had three main uses— uh, first, it has been used as a, a confession of faith uh, for people about to be baptized, which we still use it for that. Uh, secondly, it's been used as a way of instructing new Christians in the essentials of the faith. Uh, and thirdly, it, it's kind of used as a rule of faith or a measuring stick uh, on which we base our beliefs as Christians. Um, and the Apostles' Creed has, has no authority in and of itself, but rather points us to the authority of Scripture. So each week in this series, we've been uh, taking a chunk of the Apostles' Creed and exploring it in light of Scripture. Um, last week, we, we talked about how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. So we, we talked about that sweep in the Apostles' Creed that encompasses Jesus' birth, life, suffering, and death. Uh, and this week, we'll be finishing the, the rest of the lines in the Creed about Jesus. Uh, but since we'll be talking about Jesus' resurrection from the dead on Easter, uh, we're going to be saving the part about Jesus descending to the dead and rising again until then. And today, we're going to zoom in on the last lines about Jesus in the Apostles' Creed, which are that he ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. So that's where we're zooming in today. Uh, we know that the 40 days following Jesus' resurrection, uh, he remained on earth, uh, appearing to the apostles and his disciples. So actually, after Jesus rose from the dead, he remained on earth for 40 days, and he shared meals with his apostles, and he prepared them to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he had this 40-day period of ministry after he rose from the dead. But, of course, Jesus didn't remain on earth forever. Uh, we get this account in the book of Acts where at the end of, of that 40-day period on earth, Jesus is lifted up into heaven, body and spirit, in front of all of the apostles. So all of them were, were gathered around and witnessed this magnificent event. I just imagine them all kind of standing there like, what in the heck is going on? 
and, uh, and Jesus ascends to the Father, and just as he was sent forth into the world by the Father, he returns to the Father in the ascension. Uh, Jesus says in John 16, 28, I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and I am going to the Father. So when Jesus' sojourn on the earth was over, he took his rightful place as king over all, ascended to the Father, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. But when Jesus ascended into heaven, he didn't just leave us hanging. Because not only did Jesus send us the Holy Spirit as assurance of his presence with us in this life, but he left us with a promise to return one day and establish the reign of his kingdom once and for all. So what I'd like to talk about today is that by ascending into heaven, Jesus, number one, prepared a way for us to the Father. Number two, he was exalted to his rightful position as king over all creation. And number three, Jesus' ascension made his return imminent. So let's talk about each of those three things in, in detail, starting with Jesus preparing for us a way to the Father. So just as Jesus uh, made a way for us to be at, at peace with God in this life through his death and resurrection, he made a way for us to be in communion with God in the life to come through his ascension. Uh, Jesus talks about preparing the way for us in, in John 14, 1 through 7. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also." And you know the way to the place where I am going. So by ascending to the Father, Jesus made a way for us to share in eternal life with God. He went to the Father to prepare a place for us. So that not only could, could we share in Jesus' bodily resurrection, but we can share in His going to the Father. And that's our hope. Right, that one day we would be resurrected, not just our spirits, but our bodies as well, and we share in eternal life with Jesus and God the Father and the Holy Spirit. Um, secondly, the, the ascension is significant because Jesus was exalted to his rightful position as king over all creation. So this is what we're talking about when, when we profess in the creed that Jesus was seated at the right hand of the Father. I just want us to stop and think about the significance of Jesus' upward ascent to glory. Jesus went from, from the lowest place to the highest place. He went from being tortured, dying a, a criminal's death on a cross, and passing through death itself, to being exalted as king over creation. So Jesus' exaltation at the right hand of the Father is the fulfillment of the prophecy contained in, in Daniel chapter 7, 13 through 14, which says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. 
So the ascension was not just a display of Jesus' victory over sin and death, but in the ascension, Jesus established the reign of God's kingdom, which is breaking through our lives here and now that are still steeped in sin and death. So to, to understand what I mean, we get a taste of God's kingdom every time we gather together in worship. And that's why this time each week is, is so important, because we get a taste of what eternity will be like. Sharing communion in the presence of God, singing His praises, breaking bread together. We also get a taste of God's kingdom when we, we do things to bring God's light into the darkness of the world. Every time we as God's people offer hope to someone by an act of kindness or mercy, we get a taste of God's kingdom. Each time we share God's love with another person, we get a taste of God's kingdom. And we do these things out of worship and service to our resurrected King. So that's why when we say that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, we're not just implying that Jesus is on vacation hanging out in heaven drinking lemonade. All right, He is still actively at work in the world through His church and praying to the Father on our behalf. He's pulling for us as we carry out His work here on earth. In His exalted role as King, Jesus acts as a mediator between us and God until He returns to bring us into God's presence. Which leads us to the, the third reason that Jesus' ascension is significant. His ascension made his return imminent. So directly after Jesus ascended into heaven, while the apostles were still standing there dumbfounded at what they had just seen, two of God's messengers appeared beside them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Right after Jesus ascended, that promise was made that Jesus would one day return. Now, of course, this is our, our great hope as Christians, amen, that, that one day Jesus will return and fulfill the reign of God's kingdom once and for all, that this, this world's broken way of being will pass away. We'll no longer just get tastes of God's kingdom, but it will be our reality forever. And I don't know about you, but I can't wait until that day, amen? amen. But, and yes, there's a but, before we can share in God's kingdom for all eternity, we must first pass through the final judgment. As we profess in the Apostles' Creed, when Jesus returns, he will judge the living and the dead. Jesus will be our judge. And this is probably the, the line of the creed that we're least comfortable with, which is why we're going to be spending the most time on it today. You're welcome. Um, so the final judgment is, is something that, that whether we believe in Jesus or not, we will all have to face. So I would be doing all of us a, a disservice by glossing over this line of the creed because whether we want to think about it or not, we will all be judged on the final day. I think one of the reasons why the final judgment may not be talked about very much today is, is because nobody likes to be judged, right? If you've ever had to go over uh, to, uh, to court over something, did you rejoice in the fact that you had to appear before a judge? 
Probably not, right? I, I don't think I've ever heard the words, yay, I get to go to court today, right? But nonetheless, the, the final judgment is a reality that we must face and grapple with. And here we arrive at our scripture reading for today. And this passage uh, comes towards the, the end of Jesus' conversation with his apostles about two days before his crucifixion. And at this point, they had arrived in Jerusalem, and Jesus was instructing his apostles on uh, what the end times would look like. Um, and uh, the, the passage that we read comes from the end of that teaching, where he gets very direct about the final judgment. So he begins, if you want to follow along, we're in Matthew 25. He begins in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate the people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Now those hearing this parable uh, would have been familiar with the process of sorting flocks. Uh, during Jesus' day, sheep and goats would mingle during the day, grazing together and roaming where they pleased. But at night, their needs were different, and they would have to be separated. And Jesus is saying that, that when he returns, he will separate his sheep, or those who belong to him, from the goats, or those who do not belong to him. So that means that we don't all go to the same place. We're not all on different paths up the same mountain and the basis upon which Jesus will separate the sheep from the goats is a little unsettling. He continues, The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Well, Lord, when was it that we saw you in these ways and did these things for you? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they will also answer, well, Lord, when did we see you hungry or, or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. So that's a judgment, folks. And I think the most disconcerting part about this is, is that according to Jesus, we will not be judged on the basis of our belief in Jesus, 
but on the basis of our actions that flowed from that belief. And now you might be sitting here thinking, well, on the basis of our actions, well, Pastor, I I thought the entire mantra of Christianity was by grace we have been saved through faith. I thought we were judged not by what we have done, but by what has been done on our behalf in Jesus. Now, before we get too worried about Jesus preaching works-based righteousness here, let me assure you that both of those statements are true, but our actions do matter greatly. And here's why our actions matter. Our actions are a reflection of the condition of our hearts. I'm going to say that one more time. Our actions are a reflection of the condition of our hearts. Our actions are an indicator of how deeply our belief in Jesus has penetrated our hearts and lives. So if we truly have the love of God and neighbor shed abroad in our hearts, everything we do will flow from that. And if we don't, it won't. It's as simple as that. Our actions are an indicator of the amount of the grace that God has perme- or of, of the amount that the grace of God has permeated our hearts. So it's, it's not about how much we can do to earn our way into heaven, but rather it's about how much we are willing to let the grace of God go to work within us and come out through our actions. So let's be clear that that doing the things that Jesus lists in this passage of Scripture, feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, visiting the imprisoned, those things is not what saves you, right? Doing those things is not what saves you. So if you're sitting here thinking, well, I guess if I just go out and start clothing the naked and feeding the hungry, maybe I can just earn my way into heaven. That's not how it works. It's Jesus who saves you. And your actions are just the fruits of your salvation. They're the the evidence that we display that the grace of God is at work in our hearts and lives. It goes beyond our belief or merely saying in our heads, well, yes, I believe that Jesus died and rose again. But how does that come out in practice? It's easy to stand up and, and say it as we recite a creed on Sunday morning. But as we see, what Jesus is concerned about in the final judgment is how our belief came out in our actions. Let us not forget the words of James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17, which says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace. Keep warm and eat your fill. And yet you do not supply their bodily needs. What good is that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is what? Anybody know this one? Dead. So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. D-E-A-D, dead. So by setting our actions towards others as the standard for the final judgment, Jesus really ups the ante on the Christian life. The the founder of the Methodist movement, John Wesley, was adamant about the importance of our actions. 
He gave a, a sermon on the parable of the talents, which actually comes just before our passage for today. If you're familiar with it, uh, master gives his slaves varying amounts of talents. Um, and uh, when he gives one to one of his servants, that man goes out and buries the talent and just brings him back that one talent. And when talking about that man who buried the one talent he was entrusted with, John Wesley went as far as to say, mere harmlessness on which many build their hope of salvation was the cause of this man's damnation. Chew on that for a second. Mere harmlessness on which many build their hope of salvation was the cause of this man's damnation. So that means simply keeping to yourself when God gives you the gift of salvation and not sharing that great gift with others around you in tangible ways of, of acts of, of justice and mercy and kindness will end up sending you to hell. If we just live quiet lives and keep to ourselves and try to be relatively moral, we're missing the point. Because that is not the basis that we will be judged upon. But rather, when we are judged, I believe Jesus will say, what, will you do, or what did you do with what I gave you? What did you do with what I gave you? And this is why I have a problem with it when, when people say, well, I could never worship a God who sends people to hell. Well, from this, we learn about what does send us to hell. And I'll give you a hint. It's, it's not God. It's our actions against God. Namely, it's a, a me-centered existence. Right? If the love of God has truly been shed abroad in our hearts, it will play out in how we relate not only to God, but to those around us. But if we're living for ourselves, it's an indication that we have not allowed God's love to have complete reign over our hearts. Now let me be straightforward with you about what I desire the outcome of this message to be. I don't want this message to make you doubt your salvation. If anything, the message that your salvation is based upon Christ's actions and not your own should assure you of your salvation. I think one of the best ways to, to think about this is through a story one of my professors in seminary used to tell, and I think I've shared it with you before, but it's worth repeating. Uh, it's a story about a guy from California who decided to go on a hiking trip up to Alaska. And as he's hiking, he comes upon a frozen lake that he needs to cross, so he steps out onto the lake, and he hears this big cracking sound. So he freezes. Now, what this poor sap from California didn't know that was that it's normal for frozen lakes to make cracking sounds when they expand and con contract from the heat of the sun. But being a good Californian, he did know one thing. If you're about to fall through ice, you need to get down on all fours to distribute your weight. So he gets down on his belly, and he starts army crawling across the ice. And as he looks across the lake, he sees this huge logging truck barreling down towards the ice. And so he starts waving his arms emphatically, yelling, Stop! Stop! You'll fall through the ice! And you know what happened? The truck drove down onto the ice, across the lake, and up over the other side, like it was just another day. He knew that ice wasn't going anywhere. Now, the only difference between our friend in California 
And the driver of that logging truck was their faith in the quality of the ice. The quality of the ice didn't change. The quality of the ice was not to be doubted. And in the same way, God's grace doesn't change. It's it's not like you can sin yourself to a point where God cuts you off and says, Oh, sorry, no more grace for you. And you fall through the proverbial ice. But, in our sin, we can in essence take a pickaxe to the grace that God is trying to extend to us and say, I don't want it, God. We can push God away actively when He's trying to reach out to us in grace and love and choose to live our way rather than God's way. And this is the message that Jesus is trying to communicate about the judgment day, folks. We get what we want. Do we want life God's way? Or do we want life our way? If we're seeking God's kingdom and opening our hearts to God's grace to the point where it flows through our actions towards others in in works of kindness and mercy and justice, that we're seeking peace and looking beyond ourselves, we will inherit eternal life. But if we're seeking our own kingdom and closing our hearts to God's grace to the point where we spend our lives living for ourselves, we will inherit eternal death. So I hope you can see that that God's grace And our salvation, a.k.a. the quality of the ice, is not to be doubted. But what I do desire is for us to sincerely ask this morning, to what degree does God's love hold dominion over my heart? Are my actions flowing from a heart that is full of God's love, or am I, by my actions, resisting that love, thereby taking a pickaxe, to the grace that I have been shown in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, in all of this, I don't want us to forget who our judge is. For us who have believed in the risen Christ and who have committed our lives to serving Him, our judge is our Savior. It is the crucified, resurrected, and ascended Christ who sits on the throne as King over all creation, and it is Jesus who we will stand before and give account of our lives. And I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus, I won't be able to say that I lived a perfect life. I won't be able to say that I took advantage of every opportunity to show God's love to another person. There have been many opportunities that I've turned away. And this is why when we receive communion on the first Sunday of each month and when we receive communion after worship today, we confess our sins and we confess the times that we did turn those opportunities away, that we didn't live as we should. Because it's when we repent and say, God, I have fallen short, I need your grace, that God is faithful to respond in grace and forgiveness. So I know that I won't be able to say I lived a perfect life, but I do want to be able to say that my main desire in this life was for the love of Christ 
to grow in this imperfect heart day by day. And when I do sin and fall short, that I was willing to turn back to God and seek grace so that I might share that grace in big and small ways with those around me. May it be so for each of us. Let's pray about that. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word of challenge this morning. Lord, as Jesus talks about the nature of the final judgment, it's something that we don't like to think about. But Lord, we know that on that final judgment day, our judge will also be our Savior. And so Lord, for the the many ways in which we have fallen short of 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 the mark of the high calling to which we have been called, Lord, in the many ways in which we haven't taken those opportunities to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit the imprisoned, care for the sick, welcome the stranger. Lord, for the many times that we have failed to do those things and that our sin runs deep, Lord, we know that your grace is more. So Lord, if if there are any here this morning that have been convicted by your Spirit, Lord, I I just pray that you would call them to repentance in Jesus' name. Lord, that they they would just confess their sin before you and seek to be made right with you again. And not just seek forgiveness, but Lord, to to seek to, to lead a changed life. To seek to live for more than just ourselves. And Lord, I pray that for each of us, Lord, that that as your grace works in our hearts, Lord, that you would call us out of ourselves and towards one another, towards the least, the last, the lost, those in need of the love and grace of Jesus. So I just pray that for each of us this morning, Lord, that your grace would permeate our hearts and come out through our actions, that more and more people would come to know Jesus because of the folks at Armstrong United Methodist Church. And so, Lord, we just pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.